Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by us, the Fried Egg. So, all, all I'm asking you to do, if you don't subscribe to the newsletter, go over thefriedegg.com. Sign up for our newsletter there. It's three days a week. Will Knights does an awesome job. Garrett, too. I occasionally write something. Very occasionally. Mostly Will Knights. But he does an awesome job with it. It's a uh, It'll keep you informed this golf season. We got a new year. New you. Be more informed. Read the Fried Egg newsletter. It's really easy. It takes like three minutes to read. Before we get into it, it's, uh, it's starting a new year. It's 2021. I hope everybody had a great New Year's uh, holidays period. I'm excited for 2021. It should be fun. We have a normal golf season. I uh, I had, you know, for this episode, I had Sean Martin on. Sean is a senior editor at PGA Tour. He is uh, one of the smartest guys in golf. He knows everything. He's just rattles off facts that you just have no no clue even existed. He's just a very uh, intelligent and talented golf writer. And we talked about 2021 and kind of what each of us are watching. Without further ado, here is Sean Martin. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Not really. No, no. And then we have, we've got a, a baby coming in February, trying to catch up to Brennan Porath, uh, due February 13th. So we're about five, six weeks away. So it's really too hard to plan, uh, too far in advance when you got that coming your way. Valentine's baby. Possibly. Maybe, you know, do you know boy, girl, three boys. We're going to, yeah. our father's, Racking oh yeah, we're going to rack up these father son titles in a few years here. Might be might be it's aiming a, for Charlie Woods, the Martins coming for Team Woods. My cousin's a Chicago cop. They had two kids, you know, uh, two boys, and they were really wanted to get a third, and they wanted to get a girl, and they had uh, they had kids, and they they got twins, so now they have four. It's just, <laughs> like it just completely changes life when you go to four. Yeah, you can't even it, like get get in a normal car. With no, four. well, we're I am currently minivan shopping, so yeah, wow. I know this is big news. This is why people tuned in; they wanted to hear about this. We're going Honda Odyssey. This is twenty. People have twenty twenty. People have hot minivan takes. So for anyone who's curious, we're going to go Honda Odyssey. Um, dependable, responsible. So I'm looking forward to it. Hey, before we get into our topic, we're going to do, I, I don't know how to describe, we're, we each came up with like five things we're watching for 2021. Wanted to do a little little PGA Tour uh, year, not season, year preview, because we've got two seasons in this year. But I, I first, I just wanted to ask you, what's going on over on Hideki Hill? Well, he's back at the century. Oh, he's, what a way to maybe end the winless route was to, would be to win the Century Tournament of Champions this week without actually winning to get in the field. What a just it's mind not, blower that would be. 
It is. It's, I mean, same thing would be for Finau. There would be a lot of people that would just be uh, fascinating to get the win when they did win, you know, in the season prior. But I think it's a, uh, it's it was the right thing to do. Well, this year. and I'll be honest, I. I actually I emailed someone at the tour years ago and I was like, why don't we also just invite, you know, the top 30? You know, it'll be a lot of overlap. It won't add that many names. It'll bulk up the field a little bit because the field was kind of hovering at like 25, 26, which is kind of small. Um, and, you know, now it gets you to like 40. You had 45 eligible, 42 playing. Um, and I feel like that's a, a good number. And they said they like the kind of special uniqueness of winners only, which I get, you know, it's much easier to just say winners only. Um, but I, I like this field size. I mean, they'd have to change the name though. Turn a champion. You're a champion of the, of the season. If you finish, you know, top 30, it's a, it's a remarkable, That's a, you're just, you're crowning people <laughs> over there. I mean, well, like, would you rather, you know, do you want a guy, season-long consistency some would say is more impressive than uh than just winning some random event that's true that's an ever ongoing debate that will rage for for centuries beyond this would you rather be and this is not a a covid take unfortunately jim herman one of the three that's not in the field uh because you know he has covid but would you rather be tony finau or jim herman now herman has three wins compared to tony's one but i you know and that's a tough one i hey Jim Herman's Champions Tour eligible. Tony Finau's not Champions Tour eligible. True. Tony Finau's got a lot of money, though. <laughs> I, also, um, but getting back to can Hideki I can I throw Hill, out a Jim Herman stat? Are we buying? Yes. Yeah, I th- this podcast was created for Jim. This Herman's is stats. I know. Poor guy's not even in the field. I hope he's doing well. I haven't checked my uh, my Twitter recently. I may misquote myself, and if I do, I'll go back and correct it. But um, Jim Herman three victories. Uh, 10 career top 10. So 30% of his top 10s are victories. The only player, I want to say since 1990, I think, with a higher percentage of uh, their top 10s being victories among players with at least three wins is Tiger Woods. It's a it's a mouthful. You got to think about it. It takes a while to get wrap your head around it. But only Tiger Woods, you know, so Jim Herman and Tiger, no one else between those two or besides those two converts more often when they when they taste blood in the water. They just, they attack. You know, for for Hermie, it's just getting more blood in the yeah. water. It's just he doesn't get there often, but when he does, he's a he, he's a killer. I've got buddies that are casual golf fans, betters, and when Hermie was in the hunt at Olympia Fields, I was telling them to hammer Hermie because he was like he was like after two rounds, I want to say he was like eighth or something, and I'm like, listen, this guy. He only contends. Like, he doesn't yeah. just fall. And it was sure turned out like the one week where he just fell off off the face of the earth. <laughs> but his odds were just crazy for being in the top 10. Well, and know? I love, you know, he's a University of Cincinnati guy. And all I think about with the Bearcats, you're an NBA guy, is I just think Kenyon Martin and Nick Van Exel. It's all I can think about when I hear University of Cincinnati. Even though I did learn last year that Sandy Koufax went to the University of Cincinnati before becoming a Dodger. But, yeah, I just... I was that was my very small sliver of NBA fandom was when Nick Van Exel was on the Lakers and uh, the fact that there's Kenyon Martin Jr. I saw his name recently and you know the the box score uh, I feel very I feel oh, very yeah. old that Kenyon Martin Jr. is now in the league. I uh yeah the Van Exel played on that Lakers team with Cedric Sabala. Sedell three. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, Jeff uh, Perlman's 
great book, Three Ring Circus, uh, on the Kobe Shaq, Phil Jackson years, uh, gets into some of that. And man, it was a great, uh, look back at at some of the, that Lakers debacle before, uh, the glory years. That's, you know, that's the one thing that golf misses out on is all the inner team drama. You know, no trades, no cuts. Where we don't get no free agents. Yeah, except equipment, sort of. And that's why I think that's why people love the equipment stuff on January first, is because it's like the closest you get to free agency. Yeah, there was a lot of big news this this week with it. It is sad though. You too. don't it, it you is... don't have like the PRGRs and the uh, Zevos and the you don't have the really random companies. Nikent. Yeah, Nikent is a great one. <laughs> Jeff Quinney's. <laughs> No, that man, he was so good in 2008. Uh, gosh, former, uh, all right, former USAM champ. Anyways, we're, we're moving. I just wanted to know what was going on in Hideki Hill, and now we're talking, we're talking Jeff Quinney, Nick Kent, and uh, Jim Hermistas. Uh, Daiwa, don't forget so, Daiwa, also equipment. <laughs> Are we buying or selling on Hideki Hill this year? No, I think the nerds are pro Hideki. All the, you know, the strokes gained, all the indicators. You know, he's a guy that say that, that he's one of the top players in the world. He just hasn't won in a very long time. But I think, you know, I'd rather, I don't know if I'd hammer Hideki because he hasn't won, but it's it's just a matter of time. Let's be honest. It's just a matter of time. You know, maybe Takumi Kanaya coming it's out, with some young happen. blood right behind him. Nipping at his heels, that maybe that'll put some energy back into him. Next week it's Sony. He sees this threat uh, coming his way, you know, and he sees some young. Maybe he sees some young Hideki in, in Takumi, and maybe that inspires him to you know to find his better form again. It might be nice for him if if some of the press just you know all flock to. Gosh, Takumi. could you imagine if he has a little bit less pressure? Could you imagine if you were Hideki, then all of a sudden, and all of a sudden this year you would finish your round, sign your card, and there was no media waiting for you. Every day of your professional career, there's been ten people gathered around you for thirty minutes a day, and then now just nobody. It'd be jarring. Do you, what do you think about that storyline in general with the with the no fans thing? Do you do you think there's some credence to the fact that it might benefit younger players? I think it has to, right? I think. Um... I mean, I, I think it has to. I mean, I would think, especially a major down the stretch. I mean, I was thinking about, like, at Wingfoot, is, would Bryson worry about literally killing people? And now he can just, you know, swing away? He kind of said at Augusta, he's like, look, if there were fans here, like, I'd be aiming at them. And that's a little bit, you know, jarring. That That's worrisome if you're a player standing over your ball aiming at where people are. And so it's definitely easier in that sense. So, you know, I would think, I would think so. You know, you got to... You know, so much talk about controlling your breathing, controlling your adrenaline, and just kind of, you know, trying to stay level while everything's just going crazy around you. And I think that's the thing is nothing is going crazy around you. It's easier for you to just kind of keep the game slow or slow it down. You're not going to get – that's when I think guys start collapsing is, you know, things start moving quickly is the cliche. And I think without fans, it's that doesn't happen quite as much. I think the other thing, too, is like – if you've been playing on the PGA tour for 20 years in a certain way, it's like almost a shock to the system when, when the, everything's gone and yeah. different in a, in a different way where all of a sudden it might've felt somewhat foreign to some of the bigger names that have been out there for 15 years. And I, I think that's where 
Rory's comments have some weight. Well, and then he's played golf that way with Jam fans since you know 2009, and and all of a sudden they're all gone. You know, whereas like Morikawa, Hovland, and Wolf, they've played in front of you know not very many people Nobody. most of their, all of their career. Yeah, exactly. It's like in a way, it was a it was a a it flipped it to where younger players had no adjustment and all the older players had to adjust. I can see that. I guess. I don't know. Let's talk about our five things. And you know, being the host of this show, you get first. You get first pick. You get to go with your first topic. Say, I don't know how you would what you would describe these are. They aren't predictions. They they might some of them might be predictions. They're more just topics or storylines. All right, lines. I'm gonna come in hot. Let's you know, let's just get right to it. I like to chum the waters in this space a little bit. I don't have a super dog in this fight, but I'm just gonna go with Bryson. I am excited to watch Bryson DeChambeau play golf in 2021. I mean, he was the story of 2020. Yeah. There's no way. It is. It's kind of insane how captivating. And I, I mean, I didn't. I would never have guessed that Bryson would have been able to suck up so much of of golf media coverage as well as just the general interest because he got so big that he came back out and like other sports commentators were noticing this. You know beefy guy playing golf and hitting it some forever. would say he's the so size it, of a linebacker was... <laughs> I, i'm excited to see him play plantation course i think he could really unleash everything i don't there. know when this is posting but do you know who he's playing with in the first round todd brandon Watch. todd his average which i just i i hope that we get to see a lot of that group because if nothing else there is the pga tours fantastic tour cast tool which uh, is three-dimensional shot trails on every uh, every shot. But, I mean, the distance debate right there, just Bryson, his average carry is 50 yards longer than Brendan Todd. And I think it rained yesterday, so if it's soft, it's just going to be uh, it's gonna be ridiculous. And, there's, I mean, there's not a hole where Bryson's I, not going to hit driver. The fairways are 100 yards wide. If they don't, like, they should, the telecast should have, like, a graphic almost every hole detailing the difference in distance and what they're playing into the hole for the viewer. Like that has to be almost every hole of those two playing. It has to have that graphic show up. Or just Photoshop a Walmart between their two balls. Uh, I want to, I want to, this is, you know, some people have seen on Twitter. Some people haven't, uh, you know, I I like to chum the waters in the distance debate. Uh, I'm not a super passionate participant, but I like to kind of just drop little, you know, little chum. So I'm going to, this is my, you like to you like to stir up yeah. the waves. You like to get in the you like to kick in the wave pool, get a little bit more uh, choppy water. So this is where that. I'm going to elaborate my distance take. Uh, should Bryson be allowed to hit the ball this far? I don't really know. There are people who are very passionate about saying he shouldn't. Uh, is it fascinating? Yes. And I think that though the problem is now at the distance debate, I think there's two camps talking past each other, which never happens on Twitter. Uh, there's the one camp. No. That is arguing, that is, I would argue is, is anti-rollback, is in favor of things the way they are. And they are debating, uh, is Bryson's way of playing, uh, hitting as far as possible, not as worried about where it's going, is that the optimal way to play golf? And also, would that be the optimal way to play golf, even in the 1950s, 1960s with Persimmon, Bellotta, etc.? So I think that's, 
and they're arguing that point. And you know, you can, I occasionally drop these on Twitter, but you can find these amazing old quotes where it's like, oh my gosh, these people are hitting it so far and they're swinging so hard. Like what's happening to our game? Like uh, I saw Lou Stagner post a, a 1955 golf digest quote about how players are just like, basically bomb and gouge specialists. And you see descriptions of how Jack Nicholas played about how he was, you know, bombing it over things and hitting greens out of the rough. And, um, and then the other side, you know, people who may want to see things roll back. Like I understand where they're coming from of, you know what, like we, we can't keep buying up land. Wayne foot had to add tees for, you know, the U S open this year. Um, but I think, yeah, I think those are the Which two sides were immediately rendered, rendered irrelevant. Yeah. Um, that's, I think the, that's the, the thing I, I see it, it, you know, I, I clearly am on one side of the coin. I, but I also understand, I think the thing I get frustrated my, my take with is, is that I think even if you roll people it back, not understanding their bias. Yeah. Now there's other people I feel like who do want to like almost bring Bryson back to the field, which that kind of rollback, I don't, I don't agree with. I do understand that the current equipment gives a better advantage to players with higher swing speeds. Um, but I do think no matter what you do, the equipment, I think that style of play that Bryson has, that's not going anywhere. So the rollback is not going to address the quote unquote bomb and gouge, the let's get ripped and swing as hard as we can. I really don't think even smaller driver heads, I really don't think will affect that, but it will have the benefit of smaller golf courses, smaller footprints. So I do think a rollback will accomplish the, or would accomplish the smaller footprint, um, you know, less walk between greens and tees, not having to buy new land for tees. But I don't think it will change the calculus of, look, it's beneficial to just hit it as far as you possibly can, even if you're missing another fairway or so. So distance is always an advantage. And I see there's a uniform, hey, this is the penalty for rough. I don't know and this is something that somebody might be able to inform me from what I gather, that's just an average. This is the penalty for rough. It doesn't take into account. What is the penalty for rough? If I have a sand wedge in my hand versus a six iron, I being somebody who plays golf knows that I can hit a lot better of a shot when I have a sand wedge in the rough than when I have a six iron in the rough. That is pretty common sense. Correct. Yeah, definitely. So if all of a sudden six irons are restored into the game as a club that might be used occasionally on par fours as they once were, that's where I think people want. That's what I wonder about is like, what is the effective penalty for rough when you're 200 yards out versus when you're a hundred yards out? And if I can hit driver to a hundred yards every time, what's, what's the point, you know, when there's such a smaller penalty for rough. So I think that's where the strategy debate kind of falls down a little bit. Like, well, the strategy might be a little bit different if you have to hit a five iron out of the rough and all of a sudden you're like, you know what? Like that might turn down and I might have this go 40 yards left versus like a sandwich. You're never going to really miss very big when you have a sandwich every time if you bomb it up there. So I think that's where that debate and, and there's no way for us to know. And that's the hard thing because these analytics, the shot link data, all that wasn't available in a time when we had equipment that allowed for this. Um, so I, I didn't want to talk about the distance debate here on this no, show. No. I didn't bring it up as any of my five things. And here we are. But with Bryson, 
he seems to be the igniter of this distance. Well, and he is, and because I think too, you know, some people uh, look at him and they're turned off by kind of that approach or just that look of this guy just jacked out of his gills, swinging as hard as he can into a net, um, which I, I kind of understand. Uh, I just think the whole process is fascinating. Like, you know, we don't have a lot of players yes. bringing our bringing us into their process via social media as much, and I feel like. Uh, you know, enjoy it or not, I think it's great that like he's bringing us in, and some of the videos are funny, and some are not. And you know, do you want everyone looking like a beefed up, you know, linebacker hitting as hard as possible? Maybe, maybe the not. Question but... is, do you have to be? The other question is, do you have to be looking like a beefed up linebacker in order to get the gains, or is that just something that True. is a part of this process? You know, like, could I get the gains without putting on 60 pounds of yeah. weight? You know, that, some people might believe that you could do you could do one without the other. Um, but we we only Bryson's working out, and I think the thing that is amazing with what he's doing is that he is essentially limiting like the control the variables like he's gonna show up and hit the ball 400 yards like golf is so uncertain you never know what's coming out the day you go to the golf course like you could be swinging great on the driving range you could have the best warm-up of your life and you could go out and hit it like crap but the one thing that's going to be constant is he's going to hit the ball 400 yards every time or 350 380 whatever it is he's gonna hit the ball really far every time he tees it up and what that does is it maximizes like he's he starts every round essentially effectively one to two shots up on the field because of the, how far he hits the ball. Also, are we? I'm just curious where this is going to go this year. Like, is he going to get bigger? Yes, that's I'm, I. I want to know what's been going on for the last three months. How far it's going now? Um, it's going to be. He is. And, you know, the thing is, like, we're watching this this character on this meteoric rise. Is there going to be a point where something happens? Because, like, there are all these concerns with what he's doing, sure. the sustainability of it. But that's part of it. The like, there's all these just questions to be answered yeah. that we all can't wait to see what happens. Is he going to weigh 300 pounds? Uh, is he going to rip his, you know, bicep off of his the, off the bone? Uh, is he going to explode? Is he going to, like... And then even too, is he going to like break golf and win six times this year or is he not? And, you know, is, is he going to lose control of it and start shooting 80 because he can't keep it on the planet? Uh, I, I think that's the one thing. So that was my point is that no matter where you stand on the distance gain, it's like this really intriguing storyline that will be wildly entertaining uh, and wildly and hotly debated. And we just need those in golf. Yes. Yeah. I, I, and I think this is like, just in general, what I appreciate about it is a completely different style. Yeah. Okay. You might not like the style, but golf is best when you have contrast of styles. Like we just talked about with Todd and DeChambeau. Like if Todd goes out, I don't think this is going to happen. Cause I don't think this golf course is, is the best fit for uh, Mr. Todd. But if Todd goes out and dusts Bryson for two rounds, you know, I guess they they repair every round in this tournament, right? Yeah, uh, they do repair every round, unfortunately. But it'll be like yeah. when Larry, Larry okay. Mize. But if he goes out and shoots sixty, Larry yeah. Mize tied him in the first round at Augusta, and they were like, I think they were tied through thirty six holes. Now, granted, like Bryson had the dizziness, he said, but like that's the thing too is then when he loses to like Brendan Todd or Larry Mize or 
you know, CT Pan or Zach Blair. What's do we have a ZB status update by the way? How are we looking on the recovery from shoulder surgery? He's, I think he's, uh, he was saying that spring he can start hitting the balls, okay. hitting balls again. You know, maybe, maybe he'll be making a, uh, a rehab start at, at a fried egg event like uh, Wesley Bryan. You're, uh, you're fortunately didn't pan out too well, I don't think, but. I, actually, yeah, Wesley Wesley played mix, Wesley played well. He got yeah, he did get in the mix. Got in the shootout. That went downhill fast for for one of us. <laughs> um, th- things did start moving quickly because there were fans present. That was the hard part. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't know. So Bryce is my number one, just because you know what we need. Like we need debate topics. We need uh, we just need discussion topics. We need you know people doing wild crazy things because that's the beauty of golf too is like all the just wild and crazy things people will try in order to just shoot lower scores and one of them is gain 50 pounds and you know eat a, a cow whole and eight eight organic uh, protein shakes it's it's relatable because everybody in the world is looking for their golf fix you you mentioned somebody that bryson might win six times and break golf so somebody that i I'm thinking is going to have a massive 2021 is Justin Thomas. And I know I'm going out on a big limb here, but let me, uh, let me explain further. He, he made the comment that he could win 10 or 11 times this season. And I, I read it at first. It was like, Whoa, that's pretty bull. And then I thought about it and I go, you know what? I wouldn't be that surprised. Cause I think he's got in terms of that extra gear game, that game where you know, like when he's playing even close to his best, it's it's going to be very hard for anybody to, to top. And a guy that when he's going at his best, DJ's going at his best, is a guy that can match, you know, shot for shot with that top tier, yeah. right? I think he's that. And then I looked at, I thought about his 2020. And I was like, God, he was really in the mix a lot. And he didn't necessarily win as much as I thought he should. I thought he gave away some wins. And I, I, so he had 11 top tens in just 20 yep. events. So he finished in the top 10 over 50% of the time. And uh, it was, I thought, by far his most consistent year. And he had his best year in his ma- in majors. You know, he won one year, but he had never had more than, you know, one top 10 in a major in his season. He obviously was very much in the mix at the U.S. Open and the Masters. The Masters, like, I thought he just, he gave away shots left and right. He could have won that. And uh, and then he had the close calls at Workday, Sherwood, and uh, the Geronimo Classic. <laughs> the one thing I like about JT that I think is good is, is he hired a new putting coach. Uh, he made the I, – I love the parlance of coaching relationships that sound like dating relationships, but it became official at the U.S. <laughs> Open. Um, John Graham is his name, upstate New York guy. Because uh, JT's putting was a, a weakness. I remember sending texts to friends like, when are we going to start talking about JT's putting? Because the stats are not good. Um, he was – I think two years ago, losing strokes on the green, but still winning, winning events, losing strokes on the greens. He did that at St. Jude. Uh, he lost strokes on the greens and, and, and won because his iron play is so good. And uh, the thing with, with John Graham, he said is that it wasn't technical stuff. It's the opposite of like, he's a very feel player with his irons. He's good at shaping shots and changing trajectories. And then with the putting, um, especially when he hurt his wrist, like two years ago, all he could do for a while was putt. And so he's like, all right, I'm going to dial in my putting strokes. I'm going to make it mechanically perfect. It's going to be great. And that really hurt him because he got overly mechanical. And so all him and John Graham were working on is like reading greens, um, just working on feel stuff to get his putting to be more like his iron play. And so you do, if you take JT's iron game with some good putting, you know, five win seasons are, are definitely possible. So I, I like that one. 
Yeah, that's he's only 27. That's the yeah. other thing. He's been out there for a long time. He's been winning for a long time. But at 27 and with the makeup of his game, it's not I, – and I don't want to – I didn't want to put Spieth in any of my five, but it's not like Spieth where you feel like he might have been maxed out. Yeah. Like, I feel like JT still has room to grow as a player, and that's the thing that's just crazy, you know, is like how good this guy could be in three, four yeah. years. Um, what's your next one? Uh, going back with the big name theme, which I promise is not just going to be this back and forth, but I'm looking forward to the season of sort of appreciating DJ. Um, you know, he dominated the end of the season. He won the FedEx Cup. He won a second major at the Masters. And then obviously I think, and even that interview with Amanda Ballion is kind of the heartfelt getting choked up. I think just so much of the way we look at DJ now has changed. Uh, you know, it used to be the butt of jokes in the interviews and the, you know, Oh, you know, DJ's not that smart, and the the narrative has turned to like he's like he's not a man of many words. He doesn't you know give these long Rory McIlroy esque answers, but like he's a golfing savant, and so, and then appreciating his game uh, for what it is instead of like re- commenting on like his performance in the media center, which is actually I think kind of understated, funny, and kind of understated uh, uh, intelligent too. But people just are so quick to just you know, fall into those old stereotypes. So I'm looking forward to like this. All right. We've all kind of realized now the narrative now is DJ is a generational, maybe not generational player, but generational player, hall of fame player. I think he's a generational yeah. player. And let's enjoy this, you know, with the maybe 10 years that he has left versus let's all laugh at DJ. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Well, but you start to add up like where, where it's going to go. And, you know, let's just say he's got five really good years left in him. Yeah. Right. So 42, I'll put him at like 42, I think. A stat I kind of started was rummaging around with recently was uh, top weeks in the top 10 of the OWGR. I think it's an underrated way to look at somebody's career, yeah. you know, because, you know, nobody that spends a lot of time in the top 10 is a, is a joker. So he's got 337 weeks in the, in the OWGR top 10, almost guaranteed two more year, two full years, the next two years in the top 10. So that that's going to get him up into the Jim Furyk zone. He's got more wins than Furyk. Like you think, if he's got five good years, he's probably got at least eight tour wins and maybe one major. You get three majors and you get thirty PGA Tour wins, thirty plus PGA Tour wins. There aren't a lot of guys that have done yeah. that. No, I like it. So and the other thing is he is not beating up on any B fields. No, like, that's the other underrated thing about DJ and his wins. If you look at the wins in the fields, like he doesn't win heritages. No offense to heritage, but he doesn't win the heritage. He wins WGCs, playoff events. Well, actually, he like that's the crazy. He could have won thing. the heritage two years ago, but he kicked it away. He was close. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's got the he's got a national open, a couple of national opens with the uh, Canadian. He almost won it, uh, Royal St. George's last time he was there. So yeah. we're going there this year. Yeah. Um, all right. So mine is a player not quite came just a little bit before DJ. This is like the, the precursor almost to DJ, a group of players, Adam Scott, Sergio Garcia, and Justin Rose. Essentially, since I became a golf fan, minus three or four years of before, before they were around, these guys have been essential fixtures of top 20 players in the world. 
you know, Rose you could make qualms about, but Sergio and Adam Scott, fixtures. Just always there. First, like, names you spout off about. And at this point, now they are fading into are they top 40 players in the world? And uh, my question, you know, really centers around was last year an aberration? Was it a weird year? And, you know, we saw the signs with Sergio before this, and Sergio's obviously had some other things going on. But, you know, was this a weird year, or are the, and are these guys going to come back to being top 20 guys, top 25 guys, or is this what they are at this point? What's your take? I mean, Adam Scott's still 21st in the world. Adam Scott won at Riviera yeah. this year. I think of the group, I think Adam Scott has the best chance. I think Sergio, just some of the stats aren't good. You know, he won the Sanderson. Uh, but since the restart of the season, he only had two other finishes. So but going back to Colonial in what, May? Only two other finishes better than 30th. Uh, T5 at the Heritage and then T21 at the CJ Cup. But so it really, I mean, even the results right around the wind, it, like he had missed three of his last four cuts. It wasn't good uh, heading into the Sanderson. And it's amazing. His strokes gained off the tee, like it remains top five annually, but the yes. iron play is falling off, which you would kind of expect the opposite. Like the iron play to last forever and the, the distance and the, the play from the tee to fall off. But so that's a little bit concerning and a question if he can get it back. Um, I think Adam Scott just seems just very kind of set in how he does things. I don't know. He just seems, um, you know, Sergio's got two children. As someone has two children, that's a huge effect on your professional life. Um, Justin Rose, I feel like he puts so much effort into it that in one sense, when things get back to normal, I could see him regaining his form. I think, you know, you he's a guy, uh, he's a guy who just, is so routine based and he's a very hard worker. He's very kind of technical in his approach of, of how he does things. And so, you know, COVID where you've got all these new restrictions and have to do things differently. I could see that throwing him off. Um, so I could see him coming back, but that is kind of contingent on maybe the world getting back to normal ish. Um, but I, I think Adam Scott's the best candidate to kind of stay up there. That's the thing. I, I was looking at this, and I started looking into the stats like you alluded to with Sergio, and I, I kind of almost like got into camp of Sergio might be the best candidate because he, you know, where Scott's lost a little bit of his luster is off the hmm. tee. You know, he was routinely like a plus. He was gaining three-quarters of a shot around off the tee, and, you know, he's maintained a good, good iron play, and he's actually been putting – really well the last two years statistically which you know for basically his whole career was always the thing holding him back and now and i just i don't know if he can get back to being a dominant driver of the well, golf ball he's at age going 40. with the 40 like, he, he might go with 48 have... incher that and that's one of the crazy that was the crazy one all the people that responded that's one of my five things okay oh well, we'll, i won't spoil it but like that was one of the crazy things was you know, you knew people were going to try some different stuff after Bryson did what he did, but Adam Scott is not a reactionary guy. He's not a guy that's just going to change things on willy nilly. And then to see him as one of the first guys to start showing up with a 48 inch driver, you were like, you're just, wow, this is, you know, this is serious guys are, this is going to happen. I think so that was surprising, but I mean, maybe the 48 inch driver, maybe he gets long again. And I don't know. Yeah. It's it Sergio's all this iron play, you know, 
And I don't know. I it's kind of crazy that went away because that it, like you said, something that you just wouldn't expect to go away. So that he gets that back, he's right back to being, you know, because of the way he's still performing off the tee. And with Rose, I don't know. That the stats tell a sad sad tale yeah. there. Um, I think with, with Sergio, too, you did have some equipment stuff. I forget his current equipment situation. I think he's a free agent. But, I mean, yeah. obviously, if, you know, between the ball and the irons, there's a lot that, you know, equipment can cause problems with when it comes to approach play. I think the dri- drivers nowadays, because the huge miss is not in play, I think the driver, you're less apt to, you know, maybe the equipment throwing you off. But I think the irons, because iron play is so much about precision and the combination of the iron and the ball, um, if you have some equipment uncertainty, it could definitely greatly affect the iron play. So maybe Sergio gets that sorted out and gets back to hitting it the way he was accustomed to. All right, you're up next. What's your next topic? Ooh, I got to scroll down. I think I know one of them was just the events uh, that we didn't have in 2020. Uh, first off, the player, the player championship, which I think we should have two. I think we should spend 14 days in Ponte Vedra. Hear me out. The first week, we start, you know, I forget who had a six-footer remaining on Thursday. They didn't putt out, so the round wasn't completed. Oh, bring him back. Hideki Hill. Yeah, bring him back. Make him putt it out, and let's go from there. Bring the field back. If, you know, if you didn't re-qualify for 2021, that's fine. And we're just going to play out the 2020 Player Championship. Hideki starts Friday with a two-shot lead, maybe? Course record. Um, and then the next week, we will play the 2021 Player Championship. So That's, that's a good take. You know, get your boy his best chance to win uh, an alleged major. But then also, you think about it, you got NCAAs. You know, I tweeted this last night. Uh, Matthew Wolf is still your reigning NCAA champion. Uh, Colin Morikawa and Victor stat. Hovland were, were in the field the last time the NCAA championship was contested. Uh, they're all top 15 players in the world now. U.S. Open sectional qualifying. We had a U.S. Open, but there was no qualifying. Um, so just all those events... You know, you skip a year, but so when we get around to those events, it'll have been two years since we've seen them, uh, since we saw, you know, winners crowning those events. So I'm just, all the events we didn't have in 2020, uh, Open Championship, I mean, just, I'm looking forward to all Think this. about Dil- Dylan Fratelli's, like, the longest-reigning uh, John Deere Classic <laughs> champion. And now he'll have a 48-inch driver when he arrives there. I, so let's talk about that while we're here. Um, the Chez... According to Shane Bacon, Max Homa decking out the 48-inch driver. This is going to be a big thing. People are going to go to two driver setups. You know, like, this is a crazy time in golf. And this is spurned by, or spurned, I don't know if that's the right word. Driven by. Spurred uh, on. Spurred, I think you're thinking of. Spurred on. Spurred. Yeah, spurred on by Bryson, obviously. But, you know, everybody's seeing this immense advantage that, gaining 20 yards does for them whether you you hit it 280 whether you hit it 290 whether you hit it 300 an additional 20 yards makes a massive impact as long as you can keep it on the Stuart planet sink was talking today and, about he gained 20 yards right before the safeway and then he won for the first time in 11 years he's 47 years old he gained 20 yards he said it was mostly setup changes but still that there was 20 yards out there and i mean he had an amazing fall after you know quite a few years of not doing a whole lot well, that's the thing. I think there are so many guys that have always played golf with a little bit of distance in the tank, you yeah. know, where 
they know they have a little bit more than they they lead on, you know. And it, but it's always been conventional wisdom to leave it off the tank. And and this is like an important point in the whole Bryson debate and the whole distance debate. It, whatever, I don't even think it's really that much of a debate. But is that like the ideology? And you alluded to this earlier has changed with golf. Like there there are clear metrics with the way the game is played today that that tell you hit the ball as far as you can. Well, I think that's the big thing is and, all doubt has been removed. So you had Jack Nicholas and you had things written about him. They were like, Hey, he hits it really far. He misses fairways, but then he's also strong enough to, you know, hit greens out of the rough, which is, I've heard you talk about this. The other side of the strength is now you can hit greens out of the rough. Um, but there's always some doubt, you know, it's like, well, is it really worth it to miss another fairway around or two fairways around if I'm going to hit it 20 yards further or should I try to hit fairways? And, you know, guys would arrive at different decisions. Um, and as we know, we're not, you know, rational beings. So I think now, though, with all doubt being removed, instead of like, you know, a couple guys over here are just going to bomb away at it and a couple guys over here are going to hit fairways. Now everyone knows, like, there's no doubt I have to bomb it. And so that I think is also one of the big changes that, I mean, the equipment, like, look, the equipment is vastly different than what was played 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But I do think the fact that all doubt has been remained, it's a consensus. There's no dissenting voices hit it as far as you can. I think that is a a huge impact and it's backed up by data. Like what I'm interested to see is I think like, this is kind of like the whole, okay, the pace and space stuff with the NBA, like we're going to put more shooters on the floor. We're going to shoot more threes. Uh, We're going to try and get more corner threes. I am really excited to see some people do some radical experimentation with setups in their bag. Yeah. Like I, I, I think we might eventually see somebody with like five or six wedges and two drivers. And I think that that's perfectly reasonable because I think what we're going to see is that people are going to realize, like, I don't need to carry a two iron, a three iron, and a four iron, or whatever your your equivalent of that is. I could turn those into one yep. club. Like, I don't necessarily, I could turn my two iron through my six iron into two clubs or three clubs instead of five, right? And I don't know if that math even makes sense, but it might be four. Uh, I, I don't two, have two through six is counted out. Two, three, four, five, six. Five. So we could turn that into three clubs, and all of a sudden I gain this because the reality is I only hit those clubs maybe once around, and I can gain more shots by having multiple drivers, like one that I, if there's nothing around, I pull this thing out and I hit it as far as I freaking can, and one that, hey, if there's a little bit of trouble, and and then you could start seeing these people shift these setups of their bag radically from week to week based off the golf course. Well, I think that's, you made the other sport uh, comparison to basketball. And that's the interesting thing is, is it's not just golf. It's all these other sports because of analytics and data and numbers and math uh, going through these transformations that are not appealing visually. So like baseball, three true outcomes, you know, everyone has this, this idea of what they think baseball should look like. And it's, you know, hit and runs and moving the runner over and sacrifice bunts. And then the numbers were like, no, get the ball airborne, especially when guys are throwing it 98 miles an hour. You're not going to hit it that often and string together like three hits in a row. So get the ball airborne, try to hit homers, you know, hit the ball over the shift. And so the data says one thing, but then it becomes less visually appealing because now everyone's either striking out, walking, or hitting a homer, and there's not a lot of balls in play. Or basketball, you know, everyone's launching super long threes or, you know, 
and same thing with golf. You know, we had an idea of what golf should look like. And it's, you know, it's trying to have, you know, trying to swing within yourself, swing 85%, hit the fairway, and then the numbers say otherwise. And, and so there is a place where, you know, in all of these sports, rules changes are made to kind of get them back to, you know, what we think the best viewing product is. Um, because it is an enter- entertainment. I would product. like I would like to make one large important sure. point with all these references is that of all these sports that we've alluded to, the only one that has gone through major technological improvements in the equipment that allows for such performance is golf. That is, yeah. I mean, the baseball equipment is. You could make some arguments about, you know, changes in the ball, um, but yeah. I mean, the baseball bat's the baseball bat. Um, basketball is still Basket- basketball. Hoop. These are yeah. the, so the que- the question always you know remains: Is this capable with other equipment? It might very well be, and I'm I'm not saying it wouldn't be. I'm I'm guessing that it some of it would be capable. Some of this would be happening whether or not the equipment was what it was uh, or if it went back, but not all of it would, it w- we wouldn't be seeing such a severe degree right. of it because so much of the bag has been rendered. Now I do think, in a way. Uh, I mean, I have quotes from like Bobby Jones, somehow guys are swinging out of their shoes and, you know, holes have been reduced to 400 yard holes been reduced to driver and wedge. So I do think that a rollback would, re- would accomplish the goal of reducing the footprint of a golf course because you would need less land because the ball's not going as far. But I don't think it would visually change what the game looks like as much. And you've made the point that it could because coming out of the rough with a, a longer iron versus a shorter one. But also, what, then it's hard because one of the goals also is to use less land for the golf course. So if you shorten golf courses with a rollback, then you're using less land, but the, you know, the true yardage is, is kind of stayed the same, if that makes sense. Um, I'm also, my other concern, yeah. frankly, is, you know, in reading some stuff from quite a few years ago, uh, the grooves rule change was supposed to address all this and did nothing. And so then I'm like, well, what if we, you know, do something and it doesn't really change as much as we thought it did. And then we've just changed a bunch of stuff and it hasn't had any effect. Well, I don't I'm not even going to bring up my point, but there's no, I'm just going to, we're going to breeze to the next Anyways. point, but I'm just going to say there's no adherence of, of any testing regulations in a sport where billions of dollars are at stake. And let's move on to the next point, which is uh, what I, I want, I like to think about players in tears. Sure. I think like, like crying, the, the idea of like, who's yeah, like, what? like crying, like, like players in tears, like just crying yeah. after losing a big lead. It's a it's a pun. Yes, it's yes, a pun. Those there types of okay. tears. <laughs> yes, um, but that the idea of like who's the best is kind of like trivial. Like who, what's the best golf course in the world? Like well, what day of the week is it? And that's so much of golf. But the way I like to think about it is like okay, who are their tier one guys? Where when I think of hey this golf tournament, these are the guys I immediately think about winning a golf tournament. Here's what I have for my tier one right now this year. Going into this year, DJ, Rory, JT, Rom, Bryson, and Brooks. That wow, is Brooks the is still I, one. Poof, that is not. I have. I. There's enough body of work there that I cannot. I cannot release Brooks from there. After after what he did in 2019, having injury issues in 2020, and it being such a weird year, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm leaving him. Well, in I here. think it's not even a game standpoint so, for me. It's more just like. 
when he shows up in a major, you just can't trust enough that he's going to be healthy for all four rounds. It's kind of like Tiger. You know, Tiger's healthy, he's tier one, but it's, I mean, it's slightly different. Tiger's not healthy quite as often as Brooks is, but if, yeah, if healthy, if Brooks can prove to me that he's going to be healthy in all of 2021, then sure, I'll put him in tier one, but go on. But so anyways, this is my tier one. And then I started looking at names that are outside of it. And it's, it's who's going to move in here this year of these aforementioned players, or these mentioned players here. Xander, Morikawa, Cantlay, Wolf. You know, those are the ones that jump off the page to me as the, the likely candidates to move in there. Obviously, like a perfect example, Bryson was not in this tier one last year at the start of the year. You know, Tyrrell Tyrrell Hatton is a name. I think that because he's English, people don't give enough credit. He was very extraordinarily good last year. And if you look at analytics, he was probably one of the three best players in the world last year. Yeah, I so I took it. My take was I agree. I had five people in my tier, so tier one. It was everyone but but Brooks. Uh, I don't see a way any of those players move out of tier one, just because I think you get into tier one with a body of work that's over several years. And so mm-hmm. the actually the person I thought was most at risk of falling out of tier one was Rory only because if he has another winless year, you start to kind of ask questions um, and not like the, is Rory trying hard enough questions? Cause I, I think that's a, I, I, <laughs> that's I don't like those takes. <laughs> like I, I, I don't like when players from the past, it's the same thing as the DJ I know, when players in the past, just parachute in and just take a shot at a guy that they don't spend any time with or around. I, I I get it. It's good headlines. It's, you know, it's, it's discussion, but anyways, so if Rory, Rory, Rory hasn't been ranked outside the top 10 in the world in like the last right. decade, but tier one, I imagine is like your five favorites when you get to a major. And if Rory goes winless again mm-hmm. this year, then you're like, well, is he? Um, and, but it all changed quickly. Then he wins back to back weeks and you're like, Oh, he's back. Um, so my tier two is where I kind of saw some fluctuation. Um, and I look at it, I agree with you. I'm like, Colin Morikawa, tier two, you know, he's not quite a day. He's one of the five favorites when you show up at a major. Um, and I think next year will be a big... He's close, he though. But next year, or this year, is going to be a big adjustment. And it's just interesting to see how he copes with having won a major. He admitted that, you know, after winning the PGA, his results took a nosedive because he'd accomplished, like, everything he'd ever dreamed of at the age of 23, and that's an adjustment. And so now it's, can he bounce back and kind of get back to normal and be the player that he was? Um, I got Victor Hovland, um, Matthew Wolf. I'm, I, I compare Matthew Wolf to DJ in that. I think that like he'll win a little bit early. Um, but we're still a few years from seeing the really good stuff. And mind you, he's only 21. Um, that's, I think that's the, the important thing to remember with yeah. Matthew Wolf is that he's still only 21 yeah. and like he's, there's there's an adjustment here that people I think what's happened with all the youth success that goes a little bit unnoticed is just going from college golf to pro golf is hard because you're transitioning and you're in your early 20s and you're learning how to be a professional yeah. and you're learning how to deal with like you, like it's little things like you all of a sudden have all this money it's like just getting out of bed and going to work every yeah. day you know, um, the rest of my tier two, uh, can't lay ahead in there. I, I think we're still waiting for like the, the top to, you know, can't lay to blow the roof off, I guess a little bit. Like he's been very consistent, but just winning more often. Um, he's already won once this season. So maybe this is that year. Um, and then Patrick Reed and Xander, I mean, Xander. So since the start of last season, uh, he hasn't won. So he gets overlooked a little bit, 
but 20 top 25. Well, he technically, technically did have the lowest score oh, yeah. right, in yes. an event. Um, but the leaderboard didn't say that. And players play off the leaderboard. Even he said that. He's like, ah, it doesn't count. It wasn't on the lead. Like, a guy on Sunday coming down the back nine, you're looking at the leaderboard. And... Yes, but he did, he did shoot. accomplish the feat of having the lowest st- total strokes in a week of competition on the PGA. Uh, and then Patrick Reed. I think Patrick Reed's had a very steady uh, season, and I would put him up there as kind of a, a Tier 2 type guy. That's my Tier 2, but I just don't see Tier 1 changing all that much. See, like I could never see, and this is like the thing, is I could never see Patrick Reed, or like Webb Simpson I would put in this bucket too. Webb Simpson and Patrick Reed aren't guys that I could see going into that tier one just because they don't have the facets of the game, which is like they don't have the the tools to be a week to week consistent dominant. Right. Like when we show up at Kiowa Island next year or this year, uh, you don't think like, oh, you know, they're going to win this thing by five because they they don't have the horsepower for a course like a Kiowa Island, say. But they could win multiple times picking their spots. Um, exactly. Yeah. And popping up, like, they get hot. They Things are going right. These guys can win a few times in a year. But they aren't a guy. They aren't somebody that any course you go to, any any day of the week you expect. And I don't – I think those are examples of guys that are getting everything out of their games and everything out of what they have. But – what I yeah, and so when I looked at this and thought about like who who could go up, you know Xander Morikawa, Cantlay, and Wolf Wolf Hovland really, and I I feel like Sunjay just does not get any love. Is he also twenty one? How is this guy not in this? Yeah, he's twenty one. He has only one. He played in the final group of a major. He has only won once. Yeah, what? I mean. Victor Hovland's only won no, once. twice. Come on. Or twice. I, PR doesn't really count. Wow. Tell Joof. Okay. I mean, if you look at PR, it's not like a, a tour event, strike the field-wise. Wow. Just. No, but his end of the year was was good. Uh, I don't know. I, I understand, yeah. I I mean, understand he, what you're saying. Good. I think, though, we're, we're shortchanging it a little bit. I, th- I mean, like, right, hey, let's here's here's let's my question. Revisit. Here's okay, my okay. question. It was is Sung Jay's year on the web tour winning twice, going wire to wire, winning more money than anybody's ever won on the web tour, more impressive than Hovland's win at Puerto Rico. And, and keep in mind, at this time, he's a 19 year old Korean with no friends, doesn't really speak the language and playing in a foreign country. Gosh. Um, hmm. I mean, I would take a season over a week, so I would say that. But then at the same time, Victor Hovland was winning the U.S. Amateur, you know, playing well at the U.S. Open. Uh, I think Victor, if you're asking me if Victor Hovland's a better player than Sung J.M., I'd take Victor Hovland. It's an interesting I don't debate. Even, I, I don't even think, think, gets I don't even think it's close. Victor Hovland's Norwegian. It's not like you know people are biased towards well, Norwegians. Well, he played college golf. He played college golf, and he's he's more Americanized than than uh, Sungjae is, just from a, a a name recognition standpoint. I think I take Victor Hovland all day. It, the way he drives the golf ball is is unbelievable. Yeah. You know. What's your next one? The Walker Cup. Oh. So, 
This is exciting. Is. And this is one that was, you know, this is one we see every two years by schedule, not by a, a pandemic. But Seminole, uh, very excited for that. Um, I don't know what the TV plans are, if any. Uh, I am hoping to possibly, you know, drive down there. It's only a few hours. Um, I don't know as much about the amateur game as I, you know, used to, but I just love the Walker Cup. I think it, I love Walker Cup years because, you know, every event kind of means a little bit more. I love the debate. I'm actually, I was someone who used to, you know, rail against the um, all captains picks sort of process because there was no sort of, players never knew where they stood all summer. And they did institute kind of that, you know, wagger based selection process. But I think the wagger based system actually makes me a little sad because on the flip side, you, you lose some of that intrigue of like the mystery of who they're going to pick and, you know, who is the snub and, mm-hmm. you know, um, who's the USGA guy. Yeah. And who's the, you know, who's the guy who finishes T five and, and you see it, there's a guy who finishes like T five every week, uh, who gets left off for a guy, you know, or who makes it over a guy who has like two big wins. Um, and I, I think I, like, and I'll admit it, I was wrong. You know, in 2009, I rode hard for Dan Woltman, uh, cause he won the Northeast amateur round of 16 of the U S amateur. And they picked Cameron Tringali instead. And, uh, obviously they were correct that Cameron Tringali was the better player than, than Dan Woltman, even though Woltman had that big win. Um, so I don't know. I, I, well, I you know, I, I played junior golf against Dan Woltman paired with him a few times. That's a, a blast from the past. You dub yeah. legend. Uh, and just never really panned out, unfortunately, but though recently did like Monday, he's still at, he it, did though. like, I think he's still, yeah, he Monday didn't finish like second at a corn fairy event randomly. Um, I think it was the Chicago one actually. Huh? A few years ago. I think Hoba might've won that year. Hmm. So, yeah. So I like that. Uh, you know, I think some names to watch, you know, some Davis Thompson, Ricky, uh, people are very excited about Ricky Castillo at Florida. Um, all right. So I put, I, I carried for my buddy in the Western Am. It was at Skokie. So it was four years ago and we got paired with a 15 year old Ricky Castillo. And I've, like I turned to my buddy on like the 14th, 14th hole. And I was like, this kid is so freaking good. I mean, he had not missed a shot. I think he shot like a 67 or 66 that day. And it was just, I just had never seen somebody 15 years old play so yeah. well. Um, just like total control of his game. And it's, it has not been surprising at all. And this is one of the things I think that got lost with all the Akshay um, hype and trauma was that, Ricky Castillo might be the better player of the two yeah. of them. Yeah. So, uh, same age group, John Pock, uh, Florida state, Tyler Surfacey is already on the team because he won the USAM. Uh, he, Brentley Romine had it today that he's going to turn pro after the, uh, after the Walker cup, after the Walker Pearson cup. Pearson Cootie. It's an early Walker cup. Really? Sure. Str- that's intriguing. And I don't, it's interesting. I mean, I guess it's a good way to prepare for the postseason, but, and I don't ha- I haven't paid enough attention. I don't know the reasons for it. Uh, squeezing it in there before regionals. Um, that was a pre-COVID decision. So, I mean, I guess it may, does that have maybe, to do with Seminole? Just the time of yeah. year, it's going to play really <laughs> well that time of year. You don't year. want to play Seminole in August. I mean, if no, you can't, that's if you, for sure. I wouldn't pass yeah. the opportunity up, but uh, it's better to play it in May. Um, Pearson Cootie, grandson of Charles Cootie, 50th anniversary of his Masters victory coming up. Western AM champ, also works with Chris Como, uh, like Bryson. Big Stu Hagestad. Uh, Austin Ekro T12 at the uh, um, at the Mayakoba, William Mao of Pepperdine. I think a guy that doesn't get enough attention. Quade Cummins. 
I think we should. I think we should go, ha, call him Bill Mouth. <laughs> Just a better, better name with the consonants, you know. I like it. Big, big. The way it Big flows. Bill Mouth. Big Bill. And actually, yeah, Bill, one Bill guy. I, I don't know that he has a chance of making the team, uh, but I'm looking forward to this kid, uh, Luke Potter, out of Southern California. Uh, he won that Merido Amateur that was supposed to be like a basically a USAM simulation uh, a couple weeks ago over Preston Summerhays in the final. Shot the lowest score in AJGA history recently. Won the Southern California Amateur. Uh, him and Summerhays are both going to Arizona State. So, um, yeah. You didn't even bring up the hammer. Cole Hammer, I did not. A big win at the South Beach, South Beach Amateur. Yeah. Five-shot victory. He's back. That's... It's hammer time once again. Uh, that'll be an interesting one to see, you know, because he, he did not play well. He was not playing well before that. Obviously, he's a past Walker Cup participant. Um so it'll be curious to see if they, you know, if that gets him back on the team or if they need to see some more out of him or if his past Walker Cup experience uh, nets him out on the team. Same captain, Nathaniel Crosby. Um, I don't know. We'll see. So I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move to the next okay. subject, which happens to be timely. It's a, it's a Walker Cup snub of past years. So I was thinking about how we have like we have these people that jump on the scene right away, right? Your JTs, your Spees that are are great really early, um, and then you have recently with this crop of players where we're seeing this young success. You also have the late bloomers, and and they are not late by any means. They're on a, a normal timeline. Um, it's not strange. It, it is strange for people at twenty two to be playing top five in the world type golf. It is not strange for it to take somebody to 26, 27, 28 uh, to get there. And I, I was looking around trying to figure out who could fit this mold, kind of your Tommy Fleetwood mold, where Fleetwood, everybody knew about Fleetwood, He, but everybody was wondering, hey, when is everything going to come together for him? And then sure enough, at I think about age 26, 27, that's when he started to really make a big name for himself on the European tour. So, Brooks would fall into this, but he's just a complete statistical aberration sure. that you cannot, you know, expect anybody to win four majors. Um, but my vote is for Sam Burns. This is your breakout between the ages of twenty-three to twenty-six. I think we we could start begin to see a big breakout and where he could be into that top twenty player in so the does, world. Does Scotty Scheffler count in this conversation, or is he already too good? I kind of think he's we have we don't have a big enough sample size for him to to fit into this of uh, enough of him kind of just getting by. I think he's excelled too much. Yeah. So he's too good. For Would this you list. agree with okay. that? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. in the vein of kind of what you're talking about, I think we may see a comeback of Aaron Wise. Yeah, um, that's a good another one. guy turned pro super early. He was like barely 20 when he turned pro. So he's still only 24 years old. What is he? 23. 24. 24. That's unbelievable. Um, already has a PGA Tour win. Uh, some some signs of progress in the fall. Um, it was interesting. So speaking of your boy Brooks, he played with Brooks in the FedEx Cup playoffs in 2018 and just saw, you know, Brooks playing bomb and gouge, like hitting approaches close out of the rough. He's like, I got to get stronger. And he came out the next year and he was like, I mean, he was noticeably bigger. And um, then I was at the Houston Open and he was in like the third to last group on Sunday and I was watching him, and I texted someone who turned out was now his former agent. Uh, it was his agent back when he had won. Um, and I said, Aaron looks like he's smaller again. And he said, yeah, I, I think he has shrunk back down. So his body has kind of gone through this, like, 
you know, getting big and jacked. And I think maybe it didn't work out. He had a couple of rough seasons in, in 2019 and then even 2020. So I think he went back to, you know, being a little bit, going back to the body he had when he was a, a great college player. And I mean, yeah, he's got everything that you look yeah. for with this. Too, and then, so he you know? finished the year. He was runner up at, at Mayakova to Hovland, had a real chance there. So I think we may, um, may see Aaron Wise. And the thing too is like a runner up at, at, at uh, Mayakoba for Wise, like you'd look at Mayakoba and you'd say, this is not a golf course for his yep. game, right? And that's an impressive thing about that. And, and Hovland, like, he's a great driver because of he hits it pretty far, relatively, like, above average distance, but extraordinarily accurate, you yep. know? Um, whereas whereas uh, with with wise, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a great court course fit for him. So a second there is even more impressive. Um, with Burns, it's a lot of the a lot of the same stuff as wise, like uber talented guy. I, he's already, he, you know, this year he's picking up a shot off the off the tee, and that like is just a recipe for success. It's really hard to be a mediocre golfer when you start every round one shot ahead of the field, yeah. um, and. And it's really just if he can clean up his approach play and the rest of his game, and you know we've seen him putt well in spurts. He is a guy that that can, you know. And I think one of the things is like with a guy like Sam Burns, he could develop a little bit of a chip because it hasn't happened for him right right away. And people we tend to forget as media like it's like the you know if you're not present and you know we forget how talented some of these yeah. guys are, right? Well, and uh, interesting with him is, you know, he'll always be remembered as the guy who played with Tiger at the 2018 Honda and beat Tiger. But, I mean, that says something about his gumption to be a guy with no PGA Tour mm -hmm. card paired with Tiger in the final round of an event and then beat him. Um, and then, you know, he got his card the next year and then had like a freak injury, injured his, broke his ankle playing basketball with kids on his street, um, missed the latter half of the year and then admit that he came back too soon and then COVID hit. So he's kind of had this kind of stop start um, to his career where he hasn't been able to kind of maybe get some momentum, but he was 36 hole leader at Safeway, 54 hole leader in Houston. Uh, so game seems to be coming around and he has that kind of self-belief that you need um, to do well. Yeah. Yeah. That tremendous confidence, you know, in his game. So that's uh that's my last one. Do you have one? My last one was, and we've kind of touched on it a lot, but it's just the what's next for the Hovland Morikawa Wolf triumvirate. Um, you know, you've got Hovland's got two wins, Morikawa's got three. Wolf only has one win, but also, I mean, only quote unquote. But again, he's twenty-one uh, runner-up. He had three runners up last year, uh, two to Bryson, uh, fifty-four hole leader at the U.S. Open, and just I think it's gonna be interesting. I think in a sense, I think Hovland has kind of the most momentum and not just cause he just won the last event that he played, um, on the PJ tour at least. But I think with Morikawa, I think it's going to, it's interesting adjusting to life as a major champion, like that young, like we all know Colin Morikawa was really good, but I just think, and he's even admitted it, that winning a major that young, you've got to kind of reset, um, your expectations and you've got to adjust to life as like the superstar. Uh, and then with Matthew Wolf, um, I think, yeah, I think Wolf, again, like I said, I think it's like DJ. You know, he'll win here and there, but we're a couple years away from seeing the really great stuff as we kind of polish it. There's tons of physical skills. There's distance. Now it's just about polishing up those areas of the game. So DJ obviously was the wedge game. That week-to-week -week consistency. Exactly. It's, that's the thing. And that's like where, 
you know, there's there's a difference between just raw talent and the, the, where we see, like, Tiger in his prime, like, you always heard him talk about how he's just trying to be more consistent. And that's really, you know, what it becomes. Like, I think Morikawa is clearly the most consistent of these three. And I think Hovland has an opportunity to be extraordinarily consistent, too, just because of his driver. I think, like, you know, right now, Wolf might be the guy that is the most volatile but the least surprising to win weekend really high ceiling i think he really high ceiling just how often do you hit it um and he showed some more consistency um at the end of the year and so i think it is that adjustment period i just think yeah again it's just making some of those adjustments cleaning up some parts of the game um that then could turn into like a dj type player and i this sounds crazy you know but like i just don't think there could be overstated enough that there has to be an adjustment period a lot of times when you're 21 years old you turn professional and all of a sudden you're a multimillionaire. like you're the life change of that it it could cause certain things like it it may you know i think some of the inconsistency could just be simply from that drastic of a life change yeah and i think maybe like a very natural player i think you know you kind of look at it like he finished runner up at the u.s open and then shriners and then the very next week almost finishes last at the CJ cup. And like, he just said, it just, some stuff got out of whack and it got a little, you know, he just couldn't quite turn it around. So you have a guy obviously with a very natural swing, very natural motion that, um, when it's clicking, it's, it's clicking. And and then maybe when it's not, it's off. Um, but yeah, he's 21. I mean, one of the greatest collegiate seasons of all time, I think it was what six wins, won the NCAAs by six, I think. Mm -hmm. So, him and Tiger and Chris. And it was where he was winning. It was where he was winning, yeah. too. You know, he won, won Olympia Fields, Pebble Beach. Like, it just killing people. Yeah. I mean, and he's 21 years old, and he's 15th in the world. So it's that's wild to think about. And, I mean, not only that, he, he played well, well. Yeah, he started the year, like, 70. Yeah, because not only, I mean, he was runner-up at the U.S. Open. He had the 54-hole lead. But also, I mean, he was in the mix of the PGA, like, very much in the mix. So mm-hmm. Everybody was in the mix of the it's PGA. It's a good point. You got uh you got anything else you want to get off your your chest before this uh this 2021 calendar season on the PGA Tour? Gosh, starts? I don't think so. Uh, I think you got a player's pick. Who's your player's pick? Hideki. I mean that's that's an approach shot golf course. I could see it being a great place for Morikawa. I actually am kind of kind of bummed if you do remember we paired Morikawa, Wolf, and Hovland together the players. Uh, and they all shot mm-hmm. like they all broke seventy in the first round. They were in really good position, and of course, it all got shut down. So, uh, it's a great golf course. You know, is is for is DJ's uh, biggest blemish on his career only one top ten at the players? He's trending. It's similar to Augusta in that it was a place that he could not play earlier in his career, uh, and then he. It's like there's like this line of demarcation where he was horrible at Augusta and TBC Sawgrass, and then he just almost immediately like got better and then just kept getting better every year. And so I do feel like it's similar in that sense. Uh, I could see him. I feel like that's all he's got left. He's won all the playoff events. He's got the WGC slam. Yeah. He just needs to get the players and he's a, you know, a pot of eater legend. Yeah. I mean, he's a legend. He's just a legend. How many majors do you think Um, he has his career with? I mean, so the natural over under is three and a half, right? Who, you think over or who under is that? more? And now, granted, there's several years at play here. Uh, who would you give a better chance of completing the career Grand Slam? 
Let's start with DJ or Brooks. DJ or or DJ Brooks or Speed. I think Brooks over DJ. Okay. Uh no. I'd say oh, that's a hard one. God, that's a good question. Because Spieth, he only has to win one, and he's got you know another thirty years of Spieth, golf ahead of him. Uh, Spieth's out, out of the out of the equation. The problem is, it's the it's the major that's worse point. for him. It's the PGA. Yeah, that's that's a that's a no fly for me. I'm, I'm gonna take the other two before that. Rory, you could throw Rory in there too. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I. Yeah, I mean that's the thing, you know. On Rory, it's so easy to assume he's going to win a Masters, but it was so easy to assume Greg Norman was going to win a Masters and Ernie Els and all those guys. Um, I, I mean, we're getting we're getting closer to ten. We're closer to ten years since his last major than we are to. to yeah, that was a great years. point on your ten year we're clo- ten year like, window of major victories. But it is it's so hard to imagine a guy who's what is he thirty thirty one that his window is closing. Sean, do you know how many weeks he spent in the uh, official world golf ranking top 10? 450? Let me pull it. Where do I have that? I might go DJ just because I can see him like winning at Kiowa and then, you know, picking off a British Open when he's like 44 years old. Rory, Rory right now is fifth all time in weeks in the top 10 in the world golf ranking. I can see that. He's got 548 weeks in the top 10 in the world golf rankings. Norman's at 646, Mickelson 775, Ells 788, and Tiger 906. So, you know, at 30 years old, Rory, if he spends 10 more years in the top 10 of the world golf rankings, he will overtake Tiger Woods. (laughs) It's not unrealistic. He's he's less than he's less than four hundred weeks away, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. You know, like they, that's a that's a Rory stat. You know, it's I mean the amount of the longevity is is amazing. And I, yeah, I I would probably go like the next close the next closest active players are Sergio and Adam Scott, and they're. A hundred weeks behind them, behind him, and every week that goes by, they're losing right. ground. And those guys are ten years older right. than him. You know, DJ DJ's at three thirty seven. DJ, who's had like a historic, he's two hundred weeks behind. It is amazing. It's it's hard Four to believe years. That it's been what six years since Rory won a major, and that he's made, like it's been six years he hasn't won a major, and he's been in the top ten of the world every year of those six years but you know it's hard to do is win majors and i think we just take it for granted i i know you know he would he it would be a different stat if if everybody got on board with the players being a major right yeah i think he proved that it is (laughs) all right not gonna get my bias on that but hey thanks for coming on always a pleasure it's a pleasure everybody can read you at uh pgatour.com you great follow on twitter great follow you know you just got great content all the time thank you man much appreciated always a fan of the fried egg and its work uh so i appreciate being back on good luck with baby three yeah i'm gonna need it so i appreciate that as well (laughs) so all right we'll see you soon thanks (laughs) 